Our scripture lesson today is from this Genesis chapter 37 and uh, selected verses and the title of the sermon today is If I Could Turn Back Time. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, a movie from my teenage years called Back to the Future. You remember Back to the Future? I wish that I could get in a DeLorean right now and go back in time and make some changes in my life. Uh, do you? I mean, I, if I could do that, I wouldn't eat Mexican yesterday. I, uh, uh, if, if I could do that, I would have bought stock in Amazon.com, especially if I knew there was going to be a pandemic and everybody would be afraid to go shop somewhere. I'd go back and I'd buy some Amazon stock. If I could go back in time, I, I think that I would. Uh, I, I think that I probably wouldn't try to plan a wedding in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, FYI, if I could go back in time, I, I wouldn't. I, I would probably try to avoid that. I don't know about you, but I wish that I could be like Marty McFly and just get in that DeLorean and go back and and make some changes about the way I've lived my life, the things I've experienced. Uh, I don't know if that's true of you or not. Now, I realize that there are some people in our congregation that might not be old enough to remember back to the future. Uh, and Marty McFly and the DeLorean. And so we've been blessed this summer to have Molly Gilliland volunteering in our office a little bit. She's a young adult here in our church. And so I went out to her and I said, look, I want to talk about going back in time. Is there any more recent movies out there that maybe my younger demographic would understand better than Back to the Future? And so she told me about Harry Potter. Now, the next Harry Potter movie that I see will be my first Harry Potter movie. Uh, but apparently, Molly's favorite Harry Potter movie is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And that in this particular movie, uh, Harry Potter and some girl's name who is way too difficult to pronounce, Hermione, something like that? Hermione? Okay, that sounds like a pasta. But anyway, um, Harry Potter and this, whatever she said, uh, get in a time turner. And they go back in time and they try to save Hogwarts, which apparently is this British boarding school for magic. And so uh, for those of you who skew younger in the demographic, it's the same principle. Can you get in uh, something, a time turner or a DeLorean, and go back and make some different changes in your life? If you could go back in time, what would you change? I hope you wouldn't say, well, I wouldn't be here listening to this sermon right now. I, I, but, but I suspect that all of us would do that. We've been in the book of Genesis for several, uh, probably a couple of months now. It's the lectionary reading. It's the Old Testament lectionary reading. And, and, and I just love some of these stories. And I just thought it would be good for us to spend some time just kind of walking through the book of Genesis and being exposed to some of those stories. Here recently, we've been talking about Jacob. And you have by now have heard that story if you've been listening to the sermons. Uh, Jacob had a twin brother, Esau. And before they were even born, they were wrestling in the womb. They were fighting one another. And it's as if uh, 
they were both trying to decide who got to be born first. We're told that Esau was the one that was born slightly before his brother Jacob. But when Jacob came out just a few seconds or minutes later, that he was actually grabbing or grasping the heel of his slightly older brother Esau. And what we begin to see is that that's but a foreshadowing of the kind of relationship that they had their entire lives. They were always against each other, pitted against each other in one way or another. You might remember that story about how Esau had been out hunting and he came back and he was so hungry and his brother Jacob was preparing stew and Esau said, oh man, you got to give me some of that stew. And, and Jacob said, well, I'm not giving you any of the stew unless you give me your birthright. Now, a birthright was status, it was favor, it was inheritance, it was a big deal to be born as the first male child in a family. You got uh, uh, two times the inheritance uh, of your other brothers, and so um, this was a big deal. And somehow or another, Jacob was successful in wrestling that birthright away from his slightly older brother Esau. Then there's that story that we talked about how that their father Isaac is old. He's about to die. He can no longer see. So he calls in his oldest son Esau and he wants to bestow a special blessing upon him. He said, son, I want you to go out and kill some wild game like you're so good at doing and prepare me a meal and bring it back and let's enjoy it together. And then I'm going to give you a special blessing. And so Esau goes off to kill that wild game and Jacob has found out what Isaac, his father, is going to do and giving his older brother a blessing. And so Jacob, with the help of his mother, deceives his blind father into thinking that he is Esau, the oldest son, and so that he receives the blessing. Well, that makes Esau, the oldest son, so mad. He says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Jacob has to flee and run away from home. He runs to his uncle's house. And, and there he uh, falls in love with a girl named Rachel. And he agrees to work seven years for the opportunity to marry Rachel. And then uh, probably had a little bit too much to drink on his wedding night. Or maybe Rachel was all veiled up and he couldn't see. Uh, the bride was all veiled up so he couldn't see her. But the next morning he wakes up and he thinks he's going to wake up next to his new wife, Rachel. And he wakes up to his new wife, Leah. Apparently that was her older sister. And so the trickster had been tricked. The deceiver had been deceived. And so he ends up having to work seven more years to get Rachel's hand in marriage. And he ends up staying there 20 years total. Well, uh, you can imagine that uh, uh, this Jacob ends up having two wives that are sisters, but he really didn't want one of those wives. And the scripture even says that he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Well, these two wives also had maids, and so they became Jacob's wives as well. So now he's got four wives. He's already expressed favoritism towards one wife. All told together, these four women give Jacob 12 sons. Uh, two of the sons come from the, the woman that he loved the most, Rachel. And that's Benjamin and Joseph. 
And isn't it interesting that uh, the scripture says that in the same way that he loved Rachel more than his other wives, he also loved one of the children that Rachel bore him more than he loved any of the other children. He loved Joseph the most. And one of the ways that he bestowed that love upon Joseph is that he gave him what the King James Version says was a coat of many colors. Now, that translation is not in our new revised standard and I don't think it's even in the new international version because a lot of people think that uh, the King James version uh, incorrectly translated the the Hebrew words there and that it doesn't actually say coat of many colors but I like coat of many colors so I'm going to go with that if it's okay with you what we do know about this robe or this coat is that it was probably very beautiful it was probably very exquisite it was probably very expensive and the reason that he gave Joseph this coat was not just because he loved Joseph more not just to to put to symbolize his favoritism of Joseph but it was also a status symbol because it was so exquisite and so expensive and and so he had this coat of many colors I'm wondering if 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 Jacob could go back in time would he give still give that coat to Joseph knowing the pain and the heartache and the drama that that uh, coat created but this kind of coat that he would have worn would not been a typical wardrobe for a shepherd, for a sheep herder, or for anyone doing menial tasks. It was a sign of favor and status. And Jacob probably didn't go sheep herding with his brothers very often. I mean, we're told that he did once, but uh, it seems as if maybe he wasn't out there so much to herd sheep as he was to spy on his older brothers and then go back and tattletale on them to daddy when they did something that he didn't like for them to do. And so can you imagine how these 11 brothers feel when here comes a boy in his pretty coat and he's nothing but a tattletale. They don't like him. They actually hate him. If you could go back in time, would you help Jacob to realize that when you show favoritism like this, that it doesn't create a warm, fuzzy feeling in the family? Well, this Joseph was not only the favorite son, but he was also a dreamer. Says that he had dreams. Now, we didn't read about the dreams today in the scripture lesson the morning, the, this morning. The lectionary didn't include that portion of the text in Genesis 37. It's as if they knew you had a long-winded preacher. And the last thing that they wanted to do was to give him 11 more verses to talk about in the sermon. But those dreams are important to the story. You see, in these dreams that Jacob had, he, he, he would have these dreams and then he would share these dreams with his brothers. And, and these dreams did nothing to help his brothers hate him less. These dreams only succeeded in helping the brothers hate him more. Because these dreams he was having, uh, the, the image that, that left, was left with those as he told his brothers about the dream is that there's going to come a day when all 11 of you and perhaps even our mother and father will all bow down to me. And so they hated him all the more. 
He's got this pretty coat. He's a tattletale. And now he's telling these dreams that how somehow he's better than we are and that we're all going to end up bowing down to you. Do you think if you could turn back time or if they could turn back time that they would urge him not to share these dreams? Well, we're told later in the story that the 11 brothers travel about 65 miles away where they're uh, taking care of and herding their sheep. Uh, Joseph stays at home, maybe because he's a tattletale and the brothers don't want him to go. Maybe because the relationship has gotten so toxic that they don't want to be with him. But Jacob begins to worry about his other 11 sons. And so he sends this young Joseph out to find his 11 sons, other sons, uh, and to check on them and to see if they're okay. And the other brothers see Jacob coming as he's approaching. And they conspire to kill that pretty coat, tattletelling, favorite son who thinks that we're ultimately going to bow down. Well, Reuben objects. He's the oldest brother. He says, you know, we shouldn't do this. We should not kill our brother. Let's just throw him into the pit instead. The narrator of the text tells us that Reuben's plan is to come back later and to get Joseph out of that pit and to take him back home to daddy. We're not really told why Reuben had that motivation. Maybe it was because he's the oldest son and and it's his responsibility to care for all of the other boys when uh, the father is not around. Maybe his reason for doing this, his motivation was so loyal or maybe... Maybe he was just trying to kiss up to his father after an R-rated moment that you can read about in Genesis chapter 35. But I ain't talking about from the pulpit of St. Mark's United Methodist Church. Maybe he's trying to make up for what he had done in the past. Well, he succeeds in getting the brothers to throw Joseph into the pit. And he's going to come back later and get him. The brothers sit down to eat. All of a sudden, they see this caravan of people going by. And then Reuben, a uh, 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 brother, Judah, suggests that, hey, why don't, instead of us leaving him in the pit, why don't we take him out of the pit and we sell him to these people, these travelers, as they're going on their way to Egypt? Uh, that way, uh, we won't have blood on our hands, but we'll, we'll be wealthier for it. And, and if he's not around for us to bow down to him, then the dream doesn't come true, right? It's a win-win. And so they sell Joseph for 20 shekels, which is about two years average wages for a shepherd. They sell him to those traveling band of brothers. They decide that they're going to deceive their father. They take the robe that they had stripped from Joseph. When they threw him into the pit. A robe that not only was pretty and exquisite and expensive. But was a sign of his status and his favoritism. And so they dethroned him from his special favored status in his family. They put blood on it. And then they sent that robe on ahead back to Jacob. And when Jacob saw that robe, he immediately assumed that some wild animal had attacked his son, Joseph. I mean, if I'm Jacob, I'm going to assume maybe his brothers that hate his guts might have had something to do with the blood on the robe. But he thinks it is a wild animal. 
the brothers, do you think if they could turn back time, that they would do so? That they would not cause their father that grief and that sadness? He was inconsolable after he found that, after he received that robe and all of the blood that was on it. They broke his heart. If they could turn back time, would they do something to change that? Well, should you keep reading, you're going to find that there are more bad decisions ahead. Uh, This family continues to make bad decisions, one right after the other. And yet God always seems to be able, in the midst of their bad decisions, to take them and to use them for good. It's as if God's trying to say to us that you and I may want to go back in time and change things about our lives, but with God we don't have to. With God, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past or the decisions that you've made in your past. You may regret them. You may wish you could change them, but you can't. But God will not be thwarted. God can still take bad decisions that you and I make and work for good in them. And in fact, later in Genesis, Joseph is actually going to tell his brothers that, that what you did, you intended to do it for harm. And yet somehow, in some way, uh, God, our powerful, almighty, loving God, used those bad decisions and worked them for good. We don't have to turn back time. We might like to. But we do serve a God who is at work even in the bad choices and decisions that we make or that have been made uh, that have affected us. And God is able to work for good.